Okay, well, welcome. This is 89.1 FM radio coming to you from Lorain, Ohio. Very happy that you tuned in today on this beautiful autumn day. And uh, again, if you're having any problem uh, with the audio, you can go to www.wnzn.com, wnzn.com, and uh, that way it's also, I'll be in a live stream so you can hear it there. So we're glad you tuned in, and I'm here uh, in our office recording with my good friend and assistant, David Abood. Hi, David. Hey, John. Great to be here with you. Beautiful, beautiful day that sure we've got is. this. And, yeah. uh, so we continue our study in the book of Revelation, and we've been in chapters 2 and 3, which really are the seven churches, or the letter to the seven churches. These are literal <clears throat> local churches that were in the first century. Um, of uh, the Christianity, uh-huh. and they're in present-day Turkey. Back then, it was called Asia or Asia Minor. And this, is, if you go to Turkey today, you can actually do a tour of these different churches where they were located. It's in the western part of um, Turkey, and then off the coast of Turkey was a little island called Patmos, and that's where the writer of the Book of Revelation, John, the apostle, was sent. It was like a prison island. He was sent there, banished there. Uh, persecution had set in on Christians and they sent him there probably as an elderly man by this time but God gives him this revelation of Jesus Christ that's chapter 1 verse 1 and special blessing is in verse 3 where it will say blessed is those who read and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things that are written herein and so there's a special blessing for people that will get in to the book of Revelation and to hear it and to read it and to apply that to our lives today. And so, David, we've been going through these seven churches, and that brings us to the last church today, uh, which is the church at Laodicea. And uh, you know has some background information, perhaps, on this city. Sure. yeah. You may want to share. Yeah, so um, it lay about 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia, Jan, and about my, uh, 90 miles east of Ephesus. It was a very wealthy town that was primarily uh, driven by its banking center, and um, it also um, had, it was famous for soft black wool it produced, um, and its ancient medicine, particularly this uh, eye salve that it had. Um, so um, those were the three big things it was known for. And one of the things, too, that it was known for, and I think, uh, you know, Jesus pulls this up in the uh, reading today, is that the water supply was also relevant because they didn't have their own water supply. It had to travel uh, several miles through underground aqueduct before it reached the city. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like lukewarm, uh, dirty, foul. So, you know, that's just something that I think Jesus picks up on in the, in the literature. Today. Right. So anyway. Right. Very interesting city. Uh, very developed, a commercial city, like you say, with all these different products they would uh, make and then export. And when you consider the church at Laodicea, there's an interesting cross-reference at the end of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, what we call the letter to the Colossians. In chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, Now when this epistle, this letter to the Colossians, is read among you, see that it is read also in the church at Laodicea, and that you likewise read the letter that was from Laodicea. So here we see this exchange of these letters from mm-hmm. Paul and probably the other writers of the New Testament back and forth. We don't often think about that, but they shared this uh, information. And so that, like you say, sets it up for this church in uh, Laodicea, and it opens with these words, chapter 3, verse 14, and to the angel of the church at Laodicea write. And it's important to remember, this is coming from Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. This is not from the Apostle Paul, it's not from John, it's not from, you know, Peter, it's from Jesus himself, and he's writing to a local church. Now, why this is so important is before we get into anything else in the book of Revelation, our Lord's concerned with the local churches, and that people are in local churches, and it's a big trend today in America, not just in America, but where Christians do not belong, whether it's a big church or small church, that's not the issue. But to be in a committed community of believers centered on Christ, to come together under a pastoral care and authority to worship God, to disciple one another, to meet each other's needs, to share the Lord's suppers, and then to go out from there to share the gospel and to do good deeds, you know, works of compassion. Mm-hmm. 
And without this local church, we are not obeying the commands of Christ. And why people think they can be independent of church is a very, we're going to do a whole show on that, maybe next week since we're finishing these churches here. But the importance of this, there's, there's all kinds of benefits, not just obeying the commands of Christ where he, he talks about the church and being members of a church. But in this day and age we live in, the church, even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now yeah, think about that. that. And so yeah. we can go into a tsunami <clears throat> in terms of the culture, mm -hmm. the changes that are going on in the world today, but we can survive and thrive if we will follow God's instructions. Right. And primary in that is uh, the local church. Yeah. Just like it takes a, it really takes a family to raise a child to adulthood. I mean, ideally, you want a, a husband and a wife, mother, father, and the children, and work in that. Yeah. So too, it requires a church, local church, to raise a Christian to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, especially given these times, John, um, you know, it gives you a foundation and it helps you stay at equilibrium uh, based on everything you just said that the church can provide. And even being here with you today is a blessing and it gives me comfort, you know. Um, and so it's uh, regardless of what's going on in my mm -hmm. life or what's going on in the world, you know, it, it, there's just a way that you can you can take the news and it's kind of like wearing the blinders that horses wear. Mm -hmm. And when you have your faith, you're able to do that. Right. Especially if you're in a community where you have other faith believers because they help you with that. Exactly right, yeah. David. So Jesus opens this letter. Uh, he identifies... One, one more thing, not to cut you mm -hmm. off, but I really like what you said because there's so many people that are scared to read Revelation. Oh, I see. And, you know, they're fearful of it. And, you know, just because of... Um, you know, the, it's the end of times. It mm -hmm. talks about that. But I like what you said earlier uh, uh, in our show that Revelations is a blessings is a blessing for the messages that it gives. Right. And so, you know, circle blessing there. And, you know, and, and when you start to look at this, the way Jesus has done these seven churches, he does criticize them, but then he gives a critique on how, how to improve. Right. And the whole time he's telling us, why this is important because we're going to have a life eternal with him exactly that's the best message in the world man and that's why i'm here uh, and so but i just like what you said there i've never heard it said like that revelations is a blessing seven blessings yes. are in the book of Rome. Yeah. only book in the bible that has seven specific blessings we'll have to talk about that's called the beatitudes yeah, of the right. book of revelation yeah and people are a little bit reluctant to study mm -hmm. or to read the book of revelation because it, for one thing, it relies heavily on the Old Testament. Yeah, to get sure. Your, and it's written in what's known as an uh, um, apocalyptic language, or um, like Ezekiel or Daniel, parts of Zechariah. It uses a lot of symbols and yes. a lot of metaphors, and people get confused. But it's a book to say that God sees us. He knows this little church here. He knows their works. He knows their problems. He knows what they're going through, and he gives them advice, and he gives them... Uh, motivation to be faithful and to persist and there's reward so those things run through all the way through the book however it does indicate the judgment there's a coming judgment first and foremost on satan and the whole demonic realm mm -hmm. there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and there's going to be a judgment and those that receive christ and forgiveness has got reward and those that don't they should read the book and beware and alert to say hey i want to get my life right with god because no matter how much you study the last days, the crucial last day is your last day or my last day. Do you see what I'm saying? That's yeah. what we should be concerned about. <laughs> That's why it'll say in Psalm 90, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day might bring forth. So that's really um, the big concern. And all this Hollywood stuff of the last days and all the cities and the nuclear war, I'm not saying that couldn't happen or may... But the, the main concern is the individual. You know, if you're a believer, stay strong in the Lord and, and be faithful because you're laying up rewards in heaven. But if you're not a believer, then get right with God. The Bible clearly says today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. In other words, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. You yes. know, yeah. the, the, Noah's Ark had eight people that got saved through the flood. Yeah. Believe me, the Ark of Salvation today can take on a lot of, it can take on millions. It, yes, and the other thing too with the seven churches is I'm reminded 
that the way I used to think as a kid, um, you know, I was baptized uh, Roman Catholic and I went to uh, Catholic grade school. And I always thought when I was younger, I had all the time in the world mm. to get my faith straight. And the more I realize, even when you read this, Jesus says, you do not know the date or mm -hmm. the time that I am coming back. Right. And so that is not lost on me at all. I, this is the first time I've looked at the seven churches. Uh -huh. I mean, I read through the Bible once, as you know, a few years back when you suggested that's the best way to get into your walk, and I'm grateful I did that. Mm -hmm. um, but when you read the churches like this, you realize there's no guarantee we're going to be here. Like, you know, I, do I have another 20 years or do I have another year? What do I have, another day? I mean, who knows? Yeah. So I, I think what this, what this has done, and yeah, it's a wake-up call, mm -hmm. But in the same breath, he really does want you, Jesus wants us to get our faith straight. That's how much he loves us, and he does want us to be with him in eternity. Exactly And there right. is an eternity, man. Oh, yeah, this there, is there real. There is life after death, as far as I'm concerned, and I know you. you, you uh, that's what your whole life has been about, the missionary work. But then it's a much different world, you know? Yeah, I mean. Then, hey, man. You, you know? don't because because you know the resurrection and the life and you have new life in Christ. Right. It says in First Corinthians fifteen, the the sting of death has been pulled out. Right. The, 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 nobody wants to die like today or tomorrow. No. But nevertheless, you don't have that morbid fear like mm -hmm. oh my goodness, what's going yes. to happen? So that That's there's the an key. assurance. That's the key, John. Whether you live two more days or fifty more years. Uh -huh. So here right. we go into this letter. Yeah, let's get into it now. Yep. So he says. Uh, now, again, when our Lord addresses, there's a certain outline he has to each of these letters. And one is the greeting to the angel of the church at Laodicea. And then he says, these things says, now he gives these titles of himself. Amen. Now, what is amen? Amen is like true. Or it's like when we say truly, truly, verily, verily. Amen is like that. This is a tr truism. Mm -hmm. One of the titles of Jesus, he's yeah. true. You see that in the next verse. His words are reliable. There's another thing I picked up, like you can trust him. Right. And he calls himself then faithful and true witness. Uh -huh. Well, where do we see that? You see that uh, even in the scriptures where he says uh, in Revelations chapter 1, verse 5, he says in from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn yeah. from the dead, the ruler of the kings, to him. See that faithful. In other words, he is perfectly he is trustworthy. Faith. There you go. Yeah. That's a good yeah. way to frame mm -hmm. it. And a true witness. There's many false witnesses in the world, but Jesus is the true witness. And that's why he will say in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say, I'm going to tell you the truth. He does tell us the truth. But he says, I am the truth. That's pretty powerful. He yeah. personifies truth. The beginning of the creation of God. And, of course, the Bible talks that by him all things are made. It says that in uh, John chapter 1. It also says is in Colossians chapter 1. So it, it speaks to his creative capacity or work. Mm -hmm. Now he moves to verse, you can read verse 15 and 16 if you like, David. Sure. <clears throat> I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, this is harsh. Oh, man. Now, yeah. we know that when our Lord writes each of these churches, he, he, he like, it's almost like think of him as the great physician. He examines mm -hmm. them, and he's going he's gonna to make a diagnostic. He's going to say, okay, here's your pluses, here's the minus. Here's yeah. what you're doing good, here's what you're not... But this, right from the start, it comes out with this really harsh, difficult, he knows your works. Yeah. Jesus knows everything about us. He says this several times in the seven churches. I know your works, but he also knows our motives. That's why he says to the church at Ephesus, you're doing this good and that good, but you left your first love. So he knows us outside, our works, but he also notices our inside, our motives, our thought life. And he says, I know your works, and then he makes this assessment that you're neither hot nor cold. Yeah. I wish you would be hot or cold. He says, therefore, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, let's just see a side note. In these tours I lead that go to Israel, we were at Masada, this, uh, this fortress uh, castle of yeah. uh, King Herod in his day, and then... Uh, they have the Romans when they built wherever they built they had saunas they love saunas okay 
so I'm in the sauna and with the Jewish guide, he's an expert historian, he goes, this is, they would come in and the first room uh, was called the Frigidarium. It was real cold, right? And then they, they got like, and then the next room is the Trepidarium. They're going into the solar, the hot one over here, like the solarium. Mm -hmm. But in between is Tepidarium, is the lukewarm. And I never realized that before. You had the cold way over here, the hot, which is where they'd end up. But in the middle, I guess it was get them adjusted, was the lukewarm sauna. And so it was very much fit in with the message I was sharing. Oh, that wow. day. It's just like our Lord saying here. But why do you think he says this? I'd rather you be hot or cold. Well, because there's some life in them. You know, either way, if they're, you know, um, we have studied people that are that have, were complete atheists, like J. Warren Wallace uh -huh. and some of these other people, uh, and th th they pulled back and became Christian. And then the ones that are, are hot on Christ, you know, th that's wonderful. But the lukewarms, they're spiritually indifferent. Apathetic. They, yeah, they're apathetic. They could care less. That's the worst. You could bring them anything, and they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, because there's no fire in their veins either way. Either way. And yeah. so it's hard. It might be harder to move them yeah. because they're just they're so complacent. That's what's going on with this church or mm -hmm. the members in this church. They're just it's what I call they're like on autopilot or cruise control. Right. They're just moving along. And of course, our Lord will say, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, that's harsh. But then he gives the reason for that in verse 17. Verse 17, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now look at that. If oh, we yeah. had a board and you wow. could put on one side what the church thinks of themselves, <laughs> I'm rich, I'm yeah. wealthy, uh -huh. I have need of nothing in one column. That's their self-assessment, right? But what is our Lord's assessment of those? You are first. They're ignorant because he says you do not know. They're ignorant, spiritually ignorant, that you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor, you are blind, you are naked. Mm -hmm. What more could he say? Man. Now, why this is so important today is there could be many people in churches today that might think they're doing good. Yeah. You know, don't I, everything is going good? I got a five hundred one k. I got a you know condo. We got new carpeting in the church. We got all this stuff. But we don't realize we could be spiritually impoverished. We don't pray. We don't have a, a heart for lost yeah. souls. We don't have a desire to read the word of God. We don't have a desire to live a holy life. On and on and on. But our self-assessment. See, here's the thing. Self. The worst kind of deception is self-deception. Because you don't know it. That's what's problematic with a blind spot. By definition, you don't see it. That's why our Lord in his mercy is pointing this out to them. It's pretty harsh, mm -hmm. yeah. but he's like taking a spiritual x-ray and he's pinning it up to the light. And he's saying, here's what it looks like. Here's what you look like, you know. The, the, the real challenge, um, and you know, when you see people, you know, like focused on their business uh, or their career and things are going well, I mean, uh, and basically they felt they had everything they needed. They didn't need any help. Mm -hmm. But it was just their material wealth and, and their arrogance because when we're on the planet, <clears throat> sure, it's nice to have all those creature comforts, mm -hmm. but then Jesus is telling them, you know, you have nothing. You are spiritually dead, and you have no wealth. You're, you're pretty much, you think you're wealthy, you're not. You're naked. You right. have nothing because if you don't have the spiritual wealth, you have nothing. Exactly right. And this message, you know, is it's really hard to to grasp when you're a new Christian and even when you're, well, you're walking in the Word a few years, you know, because you think to yourself, well, you know, I have, I'm here on the earth. Uh, you know, there's certain things I have to do, you know, to exist. And you do want the comforts for your family. But when you get lost in those comforts and you don't rely on the Lord, or you have a foundation with him, or you're not in the word, or you don't think everything you have is because of his grace. Right, right. That's where you go down those bunny trails of self-confidence and self-worth and also your independence from him. Yeah. And you start to push away from him. Because you, you know, got e it. Even in A.D. 60, the, John, there was an earthquake that destroyed the city, 
and they had enough wealth that they were able to rebuild themselves, even though the Roman government offered to help them. Right. They're like, we don't need you. Right. We don't need you, you know, um, we'll do it ourselves. That arrogance is what they showed throughout. That's the thing yeah. about wealth. Here's what God says in Deuteronomy to the Israelites. Uh -huh. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. He says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land from which he swore to your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all goods, things which you did not fill, you not wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You see, yeah. they're bringing them out from slavery and that. He's bringing them into this land and he's saying, don't, don't be so mesmerized mm -hmm. by this wealth and comfort that you forget. The, you, the, main, you, the, the thing that, that comes to, to mind for me is you cannot put trust in those things. And that's why Jesus, you know, in this verse in Revelations uh, 3, you know, when he starts, he says, I am the only trustworthy thing. Right. You have, to, you have to be focused on me. Your money, your health, none of it is guaranteed. Yeah. But I am. Yeah. And so that's the important message that I took out of this and one that, you know, uh, is something that I think, you know, even as an entrepreneur, you know, as a father... Uh, throughout, this is the message that I need to convey to other people in my network, mm -hmm. too, how important this is. You know, that the only thing that is stable is His Word and to be in the faith and to follow the Lord. That None of this brings you stability because it could be gone like that. That's, that that's, that's why when Jesus gives this parable, David, in yeah. Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, uh, starting with verse 16, it's just the very thing you just spoken about, this idea of the uncertainty of riches and the uncertainty of our time on this planet. I don't so know if 16, you're there. Yeah, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded in an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. See? Wow. Now, now, it's very interesting yeah. because when you look at this, he's done nothing wrong initially. I mean, he's, he's probably a good businessman. Uh -huh. He knows how to invest. He has a good year with good crops. Therefore, he's going to be an expansion. He's right. going to build more, pulls down those, has to put up bigger warehouses. He's increasing. To that point, there's nothing wrong. Okay, mm -hmm. he's just a good business guy. Yeah. But then, but then he says, he says, I will say to my soul. Notice this. He thinks, he thinks that this is going to satisfy his soul. Uh. It does. He says, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, retire. I guess in modern day language, eat, drink, and be merry. All this physical. Just there's the in that one sentence you see the soul, and then you see the physical, the body. Eat, yeah. drink, and be merry. Right. He could count how much he had in his barns, but he could not count how many days he left uh, left on this earth. You see what I'm saying? He knew the certainty of his riches, but he did not know the uncertainty of his lifespan. And that's what happened. Yeah. And that's why God will say to him, you fool. Why? Because it says in the Bible, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He wasn't concerned about God. He wasn't concerned about the poor. It's not suggesting he was sharing his stuff. We don't know. But the, the important part of this parable is to use what God has given us, even our talents, even the, we, the capacity to increase wealth, which mm -hmm. is not a bad thing, to employ people, but to be rich towards God. And that's why that, number one, there's several lessons here. Number one, we don't know about tomorrow. No. He thought he was going to have many, doesn't he say many years? Yeah, and it says here uh, in verse 20, this very night your life will be demanded from you. But he, before that, he yes. said, I have many oh, yeah. years. Right. 
You see, mm-hmm. he's thinking in terms of years. Yeah. God's thinking in terms of hours. Easy. He's going to take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. There's the problem. Yeah. So he should have, he should, and then the, the last verse tells us we can be rich on earth, but we can also be rich towards God. That's why the Bible continually says, yes. lay up treasures in heaven. Mm-hmm. If you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will no wise lose your reward. Uh, whatever we give to the Lord, he's going to remember that, sure. you know, whether it's sacrifice or donations right. or so this is the problem with the church at Laodicea. This, they just thought they had it all, and it's choking them. And that's why when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13 about the sower and the seed, he talks about different yeah. uh, things going on, but he talks about the one that actually takes root, but then the cares and the riches of this world has right. choked it off. Right. And this can be a big problem when people think that their wealth equals who they are as a person. But that's not who we are as a person. Right. That, that's a part of us. But our whole person identity is who we are in Christ. That's the, that's the deal. And to to say that now I got a bigger house, I got a bigger car, I got you know all this retirement capacity, but I'm not wealthy towards God. I don't have this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I'm what he says. You're poor. You're wretched. You're miserable. You're blind. How many wealthy people? How many celebrities? fit that bill you know i never really understood uh the whole uh, scenario where jesus says you know we're the bride Mm. and you know i mean i understand it don't get me wrong i understand it uh in the way that you know you described it in terms of but it still is weird to think that you know men and women both are potentially the spouse for for jesus Mm -hmm. right and but when i think about that now to me, it comes down to time commitment, just like your spouse, right. your family, where you are, you're, you know, where you're committing that much time and effort. That's what you have to do with the Word. That's what you have to do in your walk with Christ. If you're not going to commit this kind of time, which is required, then you're going to fall short. You really have to invest the time, just like you would your spouse. Right. And you have to let Jesus know that he's as important, if the most important thing in your life, then it comes your family, then your business, or your kids, then your business, right. whatever it is. But, and that's a big time requirement, John, as you know. Yeah, investment. You, you, know, you, know, you know better than anyone in my network uh, the, the commitment that you have given towards him. And there's times I'm sure where you're tired, mm-hmm. where you know, you're not feeling the, the gumption all the time. And you got people that are looking to learn from you. And, and you know, so, you know, I, I'm just grateful that, you know, you've been able to, you and, and Maria have been able to stay on your walk and you've done so much. But it's hard. I know it is. And let alone you were a missionary. Uh, so that's even harder. And these we're not asking these people to be missionaries like right. what you no. did. It, it, so, so that's, anyway, the, the, that's something that I've, I've been taking out of, of this uh, literature applying to myself yeah i think this we're going to see he always ends it by saying he that hath an ear let him hear Mm -hmm. so this all has application and implication for each one of us but to your point is i think this is particularly for american i mean western because we have so much you know we really if you go back a hundred years 150 years kings did not live at the level of wealth we live at the individual suburban person lives today when an access to perhaps two vehicles uh computer uh tv mm-hmm. big screen health medicines antibiotics in, fill in the blank yeah. ease of travel um we are extremely wealthy but okay that's okay if we if we if we realize that as the bible says the love of money is the root of all evil it doesn't say money is the root of all evil it says that in timothy but the love of money is the root of all evil. If we love God, we can still have money, but we know how to use the money right. to glorify God. <clears throat> if right. we don't know God, or we, we did, like the Laodicea in church, they didn't put God first. They put this wealth and what they think is wealth. But Jesus says, all these, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. Then he offers them a remedy. Notice, Jesus always wants to restore people. Yes. He doesn't want to what I call just judge them or just wipe them off the table. Look what he says in verse 18. 
Verse 18. Counsel you. I uh, counsel you. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. No, therefore, okay, be zealous and repent. Yep. So here he says he told them what the problem was, mm -hmm. but now he offers them a solution. Yeah. This is very important, I think, that God, he's for us. You know, mm -hmm. he's, he speaks the truth, but he says, I counsel you. In other words, um, it's a little like it says in Isaiah, come, God says to sinful man, come, let us reason together. Come here, I want to talk to you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they be as crimson, it shall be as... God wants us to come to him. Right. He says, I want to counsel you. Here's what I want you to do. Buy from me gold refined in the fire that you might be rich. Well, this gold mm -hmm. is, is referencing what is important in life. What is, what is really important in life? And if you look, if you look at 2 uh, Corinthians just for a moment... He talks about this idea of um, things that are valuable. Uh, if you look at the second second um, Corinthians chapter five, second Corinthians chapter five uh, about rewards that we're going to have in the future, but he says in verse nine, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, in other words, whether we're in the body or out, out to be well pleasing to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then he says, verse 12, um, there is a reward coming, okay, for faithful service here. And right. he, he wants us, he wants each one of us to realize this and then to realize that there's a reward. You know, if we do those things that are yeah. pleasing in the sight of God, yeah. uh, there is a future reward. And this goes back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he says, there's no other foundation, verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11, 1 Corinthians, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So he's our foundation. We have to have a relationship with him. But if anyone builds on this foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones. See the gold there? Mm -hmm. Silver and precious stones. Uh, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. If it's hay, wooden, stubble, it's going to get burned up. That's just dead works. It speaks. But gold, silver, and precious stone last. Those are precious things we did that have a lasting effect, quality. There's reward for that. You know, anything done faithfully, mo rightly motivated to God, there's reward. So he's saying here back in the Revelation 3, Buy gold. Use your time here. You know, redeem the time. Um, be rich, uh, that you might be rich. That is, say you have a lot. You've built up reward. You build up a godly um, inheritance. Okay, and white garments. Well, what does white garments mean? Often in the Bible, garments means what? Or clothing. Garments. It's the spirit. It's our. They're our soul. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it tells if it's you have dirty garments, soul, right? right. Mm -hmm. Or Adam and Eve try to cover right. themselves with fig leaf garments. They weren't adequate. The Bible will say, put off the old man, you know, yes. gossip and fornication, all these kind of things. Put on the new man, love, mercy, joy. Mm -hmm. It speaks in the book of Revelation, the saints of God had white robes that were washed in the blood of the Lamb. It speaks of righteousness. It speaks of good deeds. Be like a bride prepared for the wedding. Get rid of every uh, spot and wrinkle, you know, blemish. So he's saying here, I don't want you naked. I don't want you poor. Right. I don't want you miserable. But I want you to be wealthy towards me, but I also want you to wear white garments. We're, we, we live and walk in a defiled world. It's getting, yeah, it just is. It is. But we can walk unspotted in this world. We can, we can, that's what's called sanctification. It means a separated life. Don't go there. Don't do those things. So he's saying here, buy from me, verse 18, uh, garments may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. In other words, you're rightly covered to be naked, that was from the very beginning. Adam and Eve yeah. knew they were naked and they were ashamed. And God clothed them. You know, he clothed them with the animal. Remember, he killed yeah. 
and he covered them with skins. The innocent died for the guilty. Is is he suggest is Jesus suggesting there then that when we are really in a strong walk spiritually, that nothing else matters, and our eyes are not attentive to anything else? We don't even know if people are naked. Well, yeah, in yes, in a sense, naked nakedness in this sense is means you're not rightly clothed, spiritually right. clothed, right. and to be in this world. It's a shameful thing if we're not rightly clothed. Remember that Jesus gives the parable of the wedding feast? Yes. They go out, and some come in, they didn't have the right wedding garments. He says, cast them out. Mm. So this is a this is a real yeah. deal. Yeah. It, it'll later say in uh, the book of Revelation, it says this about the elders. He says, one of the elders answered, saying, who are these arrayed in white robes? And John says, I don't know. These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. You see, white, uh, it, it maybe it's like glistening, or we don't know, but clothing often in the scripture indicates spiritual condition. Right. You know, uh, <clears throat> Isaiah talks about good works of being like filthy rags. Mm -hmm. You know, you see. So, but to have righteousness and to walk in righteousness, and you're not going to be exposed to nakedness. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're not shameful. It's not a fearful thing. So then he says, so he's going to talk about Gold, clothing, and then in verse 18, he's going to talk about eye, eye salve. Anoint your eyes. your eyes with eye salve that you might see. see. Why were they blind? According to their, they couldn't, they didn't have spiritual sight. No. They thought they were really good, like yeah. the Pharisees. They thought, hey, I'm doing good, I got all this, but they were blind. The, the thing I, I love, and we talked about this, is the fact that he uses what their town was exactly known for right. to wake wake them up and open their eyes. So so that's why he talks about this. Isn't that right? interesting? So he, you know, it just shows you how personal. He, you know, and it, it, it's just amazing to think about that he's watching every every move we make and he comes down to talk to us at our level. Yeah. To try and get us to understand and to open our eyes. That's amazing. It's just it's just wonderful to so, see So, like you said in the opening, one of yeah. the things Laodicea was noted for, their eye, their medicine. eye, eye medicine. Mm -hmm. And so every time they'd go to the market after receiving this letter or seeing it, they go, yeah. hey, yeah. that has spiritual application. Right. That is, see, it's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. You know, and every time they might see uh, a governor or a senator in white robes, they might think, hey, Jesus reminded me that spiritually I right. could be. So, you know, right. or they go to the market or the, the, the silver, mm -hmm. the jewelry shop and see gold and silver and thinking, hey, I can lay up treasure in heaven. I can do purchase that, yeah. which is a great uh, right. value in the eyes of God. So he uses common things. He does. And I, I think the other thing is the, the, the wealth he's giving us with his gold is the riches of, of, of the spiritual connection with him. And we can't buy that. He has to give that to yeah, us. Yeah, right. And so I think that's the difference materially. If we make money, we can buy things we want on the earth. But we really do have to be in a strong walk with him to be given those spiritual riches. Yeah. And only he can provide them. Right. It's a good point, David. And then he says this in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Isn't that interesting? As many as I love... One of the signs that huh. God loves yeah. us is he convicts us. I mean, oh, yeah. when you study this in, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how God will chastise us. And he wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. But he will also, um, he says this in Hebrews uh, chapter 12. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there who father doesn't chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which you all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. We, furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not more readily be subject to the father of spirits? In other words, if you're a good father, you are going to discipline your children. And when they go this way or that way, mm -hmm. but if you're not a good father, what are you going to do with the children? Yeah, whatever. whatever they want to do. What time are you coming in at night? Where have you been? None of who's your friends? None of this matters. Yeah. But if you're a good father, you 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 do you encourage and you love them, but you put up parameters. You put, and when they go off, you chasten them. You might take away their privileges, or you might do something. You see. And and this is this is when it gets hard, uh, especially because you know for what we what we didn't say today, but we've said previously in other shows 
is is when you do do the spiritual walk it's it's definitely painful in some areas because it's hard and there's things you have to say no to and there's things you have to kind of emulate for your kids which are hard right um and so but anyway um but but he always you know gives us great hope that we're going to be with him walking in paradise sure and and, and that's kind of the carrot yeah, that's it. I yeah. mean, it's good. So again, he we see this. He says, "I rebuke, I, re- I do this because I love you." Right. Therefore, as a result of this, verse nineteen. Therefore, be zealous and repent. To be zealous is the opposite of being complacent or lukewarm. To be zealous means you have a zeal for God. You have you have energy. Mm-hmm. You have intentionality. Now, I want to I want to please God. I know what I want to know what His will is. I want to turn my back on this way right. I've been living. That's what repent means. Yes. Be zealous. So he's like, he's like stirring them up. You know, yeah. he's like, uh, you know, come on, come on, yeah. you can do this. Then as we start going to the close of this, that's where he'll say, um, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It, it is interesting how he says this. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice. He's talking to a church here, but he's also addressing it to an individual, anyone who hears my voice. What was the problem with the Laodicean church? They weren't hearing the voice of God. Yeah. They weren't into the yeah. word of God. They, that's why they didn't understand their spiritual condition. But if one person in that church heard it and heard God's voice and opened the door, yeah. you see, a revival can start. Yes. This is why even in families, if one person, let's say you have a really dysfunctional, sinful no interest in God kind of a family. But if one person in that family hears the voice of God, the Word of God, and asks Jesus to come into their life, that can affect the whole family. Can it not? Same thing with the church. You know, so, so well, I, this is really a hard verse. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand exactly what he's referring to. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of different explanations for it. But, you know, I'm kind of thinking of, of the church that thinks they're doing really well and they got all these programs, and, and you know they got this this ministry for you know this the, this poor group, and they're given uh, to the you know food bank downtown, and they're they're coasting. They're saying, hey man, we're really putting out. Yeah. You know we're doing a great job, and and Jesus in a lot of cases says no because you haven't invited me in to participate in all those programs, and that's where it gets a little dicey for me because it is confusing. And, and maybe, it, again, it's just the, and I'll ask you, Jen, it's just the outwardly stuff we're doing, but our intentions aren't there while we're doing it? Is right. that kind of what he's saying well, with I'm knocking and you, you know, let me in to be a part of it all? Exactly right. Yeah. If, he's, if he's on the outside knocking on the door, yeah. he's on the outside. Yeah. He's not included. He's not part of the church, let yeah. alone being the central right. part of the church. He's on the outside mm-hmm. of this place. Which is, what his suggestion is, the church is a club. Yeah. The that, church is that, a well-run exactly. club, mm-hmm. like the Rotary Society or the uh, a book club mm-hmm. or something like this. But he's completely on the outside. It's almost like they're saying, hey, we don't need you. We can take care of this. Right. We're doing very good on our own. Right. And he's knocking and saying, if anyone, here, this is the love of God. Yeah. And in this context, in the Middle East, yep. to invite somebody in, especially oh, yeah. to dine with them indicates fellowship really close fellowship if I, i'm knocking on the door you open the door and that's the famous painting uh i uh, forget the painting, but it has a picture of our lord with a lantern and he's knocking on this door uh, but there's no handle on the outside the handle is on the inside you have to open the handle oh wow you have to open the handle now this is often used in evangelism where people will say it's, it's it's a little out of context, but it holds true, I think. If you hear God knocking on the heart of your door, you know, convicting you and let let him in, let him in. To as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become a child of God. And here we have God wants an invitation. You know, he wants us to see. He says, I'm here, I'm knocking, which indicates he wants to come in. That's his will. If anyone hear my voice, open the door. And that could be for a whole church. You could have a whole church going this direction, lukewarm, cold, and one person or two people say, hey, let's let Jesus back in. Let's get back into the Word of God. Let's get zealous again. Let's not depend on all our programs and money and look at the, you know, our Mm -hmm. finance. Let's bring him back in and let him direct all this stuff. 
That's where it goes. The other thing I like with this is, you know, he is referring to the Church of Laodicea, but he's also talking about every individual yeah. that doesn't know him, yeah. that doesn't know him yet. And, and, and that's the beautiful thing about it is anybody can just open the door and invite him in and say, you know, I want to come to know you, Father. Um, you know, help me. Help me. Yeah. You know, forgive me of my sins. I repent, and um, I want to get to know you better. He'll open the doors for you. Yeah, right. You know, and I think that's what we have to convey. Even if you're you're some shut-in somewhere, uh, if you invite him in, he will open the doors and give you a path forward. Yeah. Because he wants you. Yeah. It's and that's his... what he's saying. Not only is he talking to the church, but even though we've said it's important to be in a church, and it is, he's also, I think, I mean, John... He's also saying uh, individually. Yeah, anyone. I want you to open the door to me. Anyone. Yeah. yeah. And then he we'll start wrapping it up. But then he says in verse 21, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. So overcome what? Well, it seems like the church in Laodicea had to overcome their wealth, yes. their complacency, mm-hmm. their apathy, their sense of uh, personal well-being. There's, you know, the world is really encroaching on them and they don't even know it. But he says, it's almost like they're in quicksand, right? A materialistic quicksand. But he's saying here, to him who overcomes, I already give you the advice what to do. I will I will grant to you to sit with me on my father's, on my throne. Man. Now that's a high <laughs> a high position. No kidding. Uh, we don't fully understand, but it suggests um, privilege, authority, uh, intimacy with God. Uh, he's saying, I want you to overcome like I overcame. And I now sit down with my father on his throne. Of course, now Jesus does sit at the right hand of the father. And he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He actually is praying that we achieve this, that we become overcomers. We are victorious. We are living the life. But he is present. But he's suggesting here, he always sends these letters with an incentive clause. Like he starts it off assessment, negative. Here's your, here's your problems. Here's a remedy. I want you to do this, and here's an incentive clause. Here, yes. This is a benefit. Yeah. Okay. He usually always ends the letter like that. Now that we're finishing the seven letters, and he says this is a great uh, motive, if you will, to motivate us. And then he says, now here's where it gets very personal, Dave. How he ends every letter, even though he wrote this two thousand years ago to a specific church, a Laodicea in Asia Minor, it comes fast forward all the way up to us right now, this day, sit at this table, or somebody here in this radio program, Jesus himself says, he who has an ear, singular, he who has an ear. What kind of ear? Spiritual ear. What was the problem with the Laodicean church? They had spiritual blindness, remember? Mm -hmm. You can have spiritual blindness, you can have spiritual deafness. Once you open your Mm -hmm. eyes spiritually, you can see the light and the light of God's word. You can also open your ears to be spiritually sensitive to what God is saying. Not just this church 2,000 years ago, any of the seven churches, any part of the Word of God, when it comes into you and it strikes you, it can convict, it can illuminate, it can inspire, it can guide. It has all this capacity, but it's not just meant for them. That's why he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches, plural, all these seven churches we just studied, what is it you can that is affecting you or me or our mm-hmm. listeners or whoever that can convict us, warn us, inform us, educate us, encourage us? See what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the word of God. If we, we, you know, a thousand years from now, if people are reading this scripture, it can have the same impact it's yes. having on us today yeah. or it had on that church 2,000 years ago. It's yeah. not going anywhere. No. You know? And I think when he says overcome, I just think uh, the way I'm taking it is overcome the world, mm-hmm. the material aspects of this world and the world in general, even now with the chaos going on, uh, you know, just just don't get caught up into it to a point where you forget what the plan is. Yeah, right. And, and, and really uh, the fact that we have so much since he died on the cross for us, we have everything yeah. since he died on the cross for us. We have eternal life. This place is a rat race, yeah, you, know? It's, it's, you know? And so regardless of how much wealth you have, I, I've seen incredibly wealthy people, they're absolutely miserable, or they don't have their health and th- without, without the foundational principles um, 
of the Bible and walking in Christ, we got Zipola. Exactly right. You know? and, and who knows how long we have. I think that's that's what it's all about. And yeah, there there is some concern and fear when you read Revelations. It is a wake-up call, but it's also an incredible blessing yeah. and a message to talk again you know, about sitting on the throne with Christ and overcoming all this. What are you kidding? Yeah, great promises, I mean, yeah. great reassurance. I'm trying to picture that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, but it, 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 on so many levels. I but, see waterfalls and butterflies. Uh, and <laughs> but what gets me, David, is yeah. how eternal the Word of God is. Right. You know, this had impact on people living at that church, Laodicea, 2,000 years ago. Yet right now, today, there's so many lessons for us in our churches. Timeless. Timeless. It's timeless. And 500 years from now, if the Word timeless. goes on, it's, it's still going to, you know, Jesus says, heaven and earth shall pass away but my word endures forever. Mm -hmm. And that's why I always say these books that come against the Bible, against Christianity, yeah. you know, famous atheists today, Richard Dawkins and Hitchens, and all, I say they don't. their books don't have much of a shelf life. They might be a bestseller for a year, two years. This thing, this Bible I hold in my hands, okay. is over yeah. 3,000 years old. It's, it's the bestseller in the world. It's the most translated book in the world. In, in, in the way it's alive to me, is that we have our, um, our, our Father, our God, that actively tries to get us back focused on the right path. That's why it's active to me. Yeah, right. That, 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 that's why it's different than any other journal about religion or anything else. It's active and living because he continually exactly. tries to bring us back. Exactly and he talks right to us about how to do it. So, so that is very, very good study, I think, they yeah, the seven I'm churches. Yeah, we did that, John. We got into it. There's more there. I know that. We will uh, have another program next week, God willing. And we just look into the Word of God and see how it affects our lives mm -hmm. today. It's going to, yeah. I really believe as we share the Word of God here, not us, but the Holy Spirit can take these words, can help, assist, inform, and change lives. And that's why who's ever listening, first of all, thank you for listening today. Um, this is uh, WNZN 89.1 FM radio coming to you from Lorain, Ohio. We look forward to your continued uh, listenership. We really appreciate that. And we look forward to special guests we'll be having in the near future. So thanks again, David, and have a great week. And uh, see all of you, talk to all of you, God willing, next week. Have a great weekend, everybody.